Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Kathy Westbrook of Burbank, California. Kathy will get a marathon decal showing. She watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Julia Turner, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired the shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 14, Episode 3, 25 Acts. Have you read her book? No. In Act 5, the main character is choked with a belt and sodomized. She has like 18 orgasms. Joining me to do that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On, Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting, and now the HGTV and Me podcast, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. I'm hoping to get through this podcast without openly mourning Chip and Joanna's decision to cancel their show on HGTV, but I'll do my best. There are so many crossovers right now. <laughs> <laughs> that I just my, my head is on a swivel. And that's in part because we have a really special guest on our panel from Culture Gab Fest and the editor in chief of Slate, Julia Turner. Hello, Julia. Hi, guys. I'm such a huge fan of your show. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> You're too I, much of a big deal to be a fan of our show. Dude, really? your show is good, man. <laughs> I, I, I got to know. I got to wait, wait. Are you really the editor in chief of Slate? Because you have so many important things that you should be doing right now. Uh, my time is capacious. I do many things with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This I do know about you, Julia. You're an Amaro fan, you like the Amaro Sodes. <laughs> Black Mark. <laughs> oh, my God. You're really starting with the tough questions. Well, I have a very twisted and peculiar history with SVU. This as as opposed show. to the people who have a healthy relationship with SVU, is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, I guess my twisted history maybe results from having a healthy history, which is I'm a diehard original flavor Law & Order fan. Like mm -hmm. When I was on bed rest carrying my twin sons, I watched the first six seasons of Law & Order in a row like it was The Sopranos, like, you know, <laughs> hanging on every twist and turn. Um, but, is that why your kids grew up to be so sarcastic? I literally do have a photo of the season one cast, like a like a glossy hanging in my family portrait gallery wall because of that special time <laughs> in our lives. Nice. 
Nice. It was a great gift for my husband. Anyway, but I remember when SVU first came on when I was like a young thing, first moved to New York, and my roommate and I, I think it was on Friday nights, and my roommate and I would sometimes watch it as we were getting ready to go out, and we called it Special Titillation Unit because it was just ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> like the repulsive sexual storylines, the completely prurient interest in disgusting stories, and I was like, ugh, this is a this is a besmirchment of the Law & Order name. I won't watch this show. So I never really watched it again until... Regular Law and Order ran out, and there was no more, and it stopped uh-huh. being available for free on streaming. And then the Amaro seasons of SVU were the only thing available through my Netflix subscription. Mm. So I've I have no dog in the stabler fight. I've like literally seen maybe two and a half episodes with uh, the OG Christopher Maloney, who, from what I gather, is the seminal founding figure. Uh, so I come seminal is Nick- about right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad word choice with SVU. <laughs> So Nick Amaro is like the only uh, the only man I've ever known on SVU, and uh, hmm. and so I have an unusual perspective with regard to him. I think he has That's some like charm. as if they stopped selling Coke and Pepsi, and all you had to drink was Shasta, and you're like, I love it. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm aware of that. Yes, but that is where I am. Oh, that's so great! It's just so wonderful to hear that you're also part of this tribe. It's so wonderful. So thank it, you for it's that. It's a big tribe, and actually, the founding editor of Slate, Michael Kinsley wrote a great essay sometime in the late 90s that I should have excavated before coming on the show that called Law & Order the secret vice of power women and <laughs> articulated that every like woman in any position of power that he ever met or knew uh, was obsessed with the show. And I read that essay and liked it before I had any power to speak of. And I liked Law & Order then. And I still like it now um, from whatever perch I now have. Like they say, you know, dress for the job that you want. I guess you watch TV for the job that you want. With all that being said, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. Got to be Briscoe and Green. Really, Excellent even choice. even after loving the first six seasons of Law and Order Original Recipe, and then all the Amarisodes, you're still going with Briscoe and Green. That was the original flavor to me. I only went back and excavated the first six seasons because I'd watched so much of Mid Period Glory mm-hmm. Day. I feel like Lenny Briscoe had kind of resolved into his soused and sardonic self at that point. And then Green is just so so charming. I, ne- I never liked Noth or Blatt as much against Briscoe. Totally. Totally. And Jesse L. Martin, of course, is gorgeous. He's gorgeous. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, I think, just elevated it, gave it some polish. He could also run, which was really, really great and was funny. Like, he's so funny in that show. Yeah. They, they together, their dynamic is witty, but not without the gravitas you need around all those dead bodies. Uh, so that's the, they'll always be my true detective team. Then do you have a favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. Well, I so it's appropriate to this episode that we're about to discuss, which introduces Rafael Barba, mm-hmm. um, the, the kind of late season prosecutor on SVU. I'm kind of a Barba fan. I, I mean, I Jack McCoy... So great. I think for similar reasons of just what did you first watch, like Jack and Angie Harmon, I think were some of the first prosecutors in the Law and Order universe I was exposed to. But I I really enjoy Barba on late season SVU. I find his mix of 
aggression and the way he interacts with the detectives and his lack of pompous bluster, which is the Jack McCoy hallmark, (laughs) to be refreshing and enjoyable. Plus, he brings the theater people to the whole thing. Like, he's such a stage actor in a way that I think just makes the character more delightful. I have to say, when we first started recording this podcast, I was definitely hearkening to original Recipe Law and Order when I thought about prosecutors. But the more SVU I watch, because by the way, as we know, it's still on the more I become like a lifelong Barba fan. Like, I love the guy. I just love him. Well, and the Barba that he has resolved into over the past six or whatever seasons it's been since he's been introduced is a little different than this one we met in, totally. in this episode we're about to discuss. Totally. Now let's look at the first half of this episode, season 14, episode 3, 25 Acts. Remember, we'll be talking about fictional detectives investigating fictional sex crimes against fictional people. If you still find that especially heinous, you may want to try another one of our episodes. (laughs) Smooth, Kevin. (laughs) TV show host with a punchable face, Adam McCain, welcomes his next guest, the beautiful Jocelyn Paley, author of the mommy porn bestseller 25 Acts. The pair go to dinner and then to his place where he insists on acting out scenes from her book, which includes an unwanted slap across the face and a belt around her throat. Despite her bad neck bruise, both Jocelyn and Kane tell the SVU detectives the rough liaison was consensual. But later, the author flees her own book party in fear when Kane crashes the scene. He corners her in the elevator and presses the rear door open button. It's pretty brazen. He must have known that there was security cameras. He also probably knows it's act nine of the book, Elevator Sex. I read the masterpiece last night. It doesn't look like she's enjoying it. Doesn't look like she's resisting either. Well, that's called tonic immobility, then. She was traumatized from the night before. He goes after her again. Now, everybody knows fight or flight, but there is a third response, and that's you freeze. Good luck trying to sell that to a jury. Meantime, SVU is still waiting for Cragen to return from his hooker scandal, so replacement Captain Steve, my bodyguard Harris, says (laughs) he knows just the assistant district attorney who can handle a difficult case like this. Enter Rafael Barba, the cocky, no-nonsense prosecutor who wins cases others can't because he's been written that way. (laughs) Kane uses his TV monologue to tell the world he had sex with Jocelyn, who's now falsely accusing him of rape. But that's enough for Munch and Finn to arrest him at a restaurant where a mob of paparazzi are waiting for them. Okay, a key investigative clue in this case is the book itself. So who was surprised that Amaro had all these post-it notes and dog ears for this potential evidence (laughs) by reading the story? I mean, I think what was more surprising that Amaro actually read the book and had post-it notes and that he was really pursuing this like incredibly seriously or when we learned that Munch read this book to his mom in a nursing home. Like what was the more shocking of those two things, right? That was just classic Munch fan service, though, right? That was just like, (laughs) oh, Munch, so weird, doing something weird again. Now, that's an interesting question, Kevin, because I do think, you know, this episode is one of those ones that when you talk to an SVU fan, everyone remembers this one, right? Because it was Anna Shlumsky, who we haven't seen, like, since my girl in in this episode, right? This was really before Veep became a huge phenomenon, and we hadn't seen her for a while. And this is the one that's about that book that everyone remembers coming out around this time. And then this one also has, like, two really graphic rape scenes, which... In SVU even, which does go to dark and graphic places, as Julia mentioned, very often the actual rape rape is off camera. We see the, you know, the the beforehand or the aftermath and we actually see 
the rapes in this episode. And it's really, really disconcerting and shocking. You know, it, it puts a lot of that humorous stuff like in a weird place. Like when we picked this episode to talk about, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is one of those ones. Like as Julia mentioned that like, what did you call it? Special titillation unit, right? I mean, they all have that though, whether they show it or not. I mean, to me, I think that SUU has played a completely fascinating role in the broader education of the American public about sexual crimes over the last 20 years. I recognize that may sound somewhat ludicrous to say, but it's really interesting that one of the most popular shows on television is an hour-long procedural that always hinges on questions of what is the definition of consent? What are the ethics of the sex offender registry? What are the structures that allow men in powerful places and positions to get away with repeatedly doing things like putting belts around the necks of their assistants? I mean, it's a good thing we figured that out, though, for society, because it's been it's settled now. Well, it's really (laughs) interesting to watch this episode, you know, in the week that all these Harvey Weinstein revelations are coming out. I'm not going to attribute to Law & Order SVU any credit for the ways in which we now talk about sexual assault and consent that we didn't maybe 10 or 20 years ago. And obviously, before SVU started, there was the Anita. I mean, we've been having versions of this conversations with varying degrees of enlightenment for years and years and years. But I think, in fact, the show over time has grown, and probably just because of searching for material over however many episodes they've had to produce over all this time, has gotten into, in a pretty serious way, a lot of these thorny questions. So to me, the like graphicness of what they show on screen, I think you're right that this one shows violent acts more than some other episodes do. But I, I think they're kind of always getting into dark corners, whether you see it or not. For all of the rough clinical descriptions that we hear in the show, and maybe this is going to show like something like bad about me, but for the first time, I actually shuddered when we saw the frumpy mom say, I hadn't had an orgasm since I had my third kid, and then I read your book. Yeah, I mean, this was really hearkening to the phenomenon of Fifty Shades, right? I don't mean to like do a spoiler alert to the um, you can't spoil from it. the headlines portion of this episode. I think it's like pretty clear, right? Julie was just talking about like all the things that the show portrays and like this weekend especially is interesting with the Harvey Weinstein thing because this episode was all about like believing the victim right which was the conflict in the prosecution and so forth in this whole episode and the book became the pivotal piece of evidence and then we are as viewers kind of forced to talk about a book that I know I read I mean I only read it because like I heard I it was a thing people were talking about and I wanted to and I remember Kevin like I remember talking to you about it when I read it It was like so embarrassing that I read this book yeah but and it was I the do, best four weeks of my life <laughs> but I do remember that phenomenon when people were reading it and like talking about it at coffee shops and so forth and me just mm-hmm. being like so embarrassed and feeling that way all the time and that scene in the show brought all of that back all those feelings back like when I remember like the receptionist at my office talking with at the coffee machine about Fifty Shades like I was like oh like this is work still guys we're still at work we can't talk about that here Rebecca, do you ever notice that like whenever they get like a, a crime scene video that everybody gathers around like yes. it's Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday yes. night and the whole family yes. gathers? Yes, they do. And then in this episode, one thing that happens in almost every episode where there's video evidence doesn't happen, which surprised me, but always makes me laugh. Like when they have video evidence of a rape where they actually can watch the rape at some point, one of the crowd says, "Ugh." I don't need to watch anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> it's literally your job, guys. Like, you are the cops investigating this rape. Maybe like as a viewer, like you think I don't want to watch anymore, but I want to think that you guys <laughs> watched the whole thing all the way through. And it happened, you know, a little bit in this episode where they were just like talking over the action, like, you know, 
she doesn't seem to be moving. And then we got the whole like forensics lesson from Rollins about the syndrome of freezing up, which was interesting, a little interesting lesson. But you do want to think that the cops actually investigating the rape would be willing to actually watch the video. Yeah, they might, the miss, they might miss the magic trick at the end, right? Is <laughs> this your card? He pulls out a bouquet yeah, of yeah, flowers you just, or, you know, you can't miss that piece of evidence. Right, Julia? I mean, also that lecture that Rollins gave about the freezing response to sexual aggression, I feel like they act as if they have discovered that little bit of exposition every third episode. They're always like, well, one <laughs> response is sometimes that you don't say no because you're so overwhelmed. Again, SVU has been a major source of my education on this subject, but that bit of that Rollins brought in. They are an elite squad. It is. It also happened earlier when it said, like, she's not sure if she's raped. Well, that's not unusual. Yeah, we know. We've watched that same plot line unfold like 750 times on the show where someone's like, I don't know. And then they convince them that they were. I mean, and I do I, I do agree with Julia that that sort of, you know, what's the best way to learn something is to hear it like over and over and over again. They don't shy away from teaching us these things again and again and again and again. Although... There is one weird moment early in the show. Kevin, I don't know if you had planned to talk about this. When Ice-T is singing the praises at the Stop and Frisk program. 16 murders over 4th of July. They cut back on the stop and searches. People start carrying. Well, I'm sure it has nothing to do with 20 days in a row over 90 degrees. Yes, he and Munch are having that debate about stop and frisk, which I think they call like stop and check or something. They always have. <laughs> yes. they, I love the way they call it, like Uber is quick ride. Yes, stop off and frisk brand. became stop and check. And then I was also wondering what magazine she, she's at a magazine party for her book launch from Anthracite <laughs> magazine, which I'm like, what is Anthracite magazine supposed to be like? Uh, in some ways, as Slate, I'm like it's the slate. editor of it's the totally most rock based magazine, but it definitely looked like a glossy print vehicle. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. not, I don't think that was a Slate magazine with party. a quasi G geological reference. What are the other ones? What was it? Like, I couldn't figure out what. Usually the analog is very clear, but it certainly was with that iced tea comment. (laughs) I need a drum roll. It's our very special guest star. Anna Shlumsky. So my girl grew up to be the Walt Whitman of whips and chains. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. I just had to leave. I went to an elevator and he followed me in. He was so angry. He he thought I told the police he raped me. Did you tell him I said that? Well, some trivia for you. Before she came back to acting, Anna got her B.A. in international studies and her grandfather owned a trained bear. <laughs> That's, That's trivia. Yeah, it's true. Yes. Actually, this is her third appearance in Law and Order. Her first wow. one in SVU. And we do have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Can anyone name the actor who played Adam Kane? <sighs> nope. <laughs> I'm so mad now that I can't. Who is it? The actor's name is Roger Bart. Everything that happened between us was consensual. Now, look, I don't want to kiss and tell, but she gave me her panties in the restaurant. She was all over me. Now, I know you guys got better things to do. I know I do. I got a show to prep. I'll see you later. And you mm-hmm. may remember him as the creepy pharmacist from Desperate Housewives. Oh, he totally would could fit on Desperate Housewives. So he was the one who, like, supplied the drugs to Marsha Cross's husband or something like that? Is that what he did? Is yeah, no, no, it, it's right. I went back and watched the entire season <laughs> so I could answer that question just in case it came up. Okay, before Marsha Cross's husband, Desperate Housewives, became the Speaker of the House on the West Wing? Yeah, exactly. That was, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I, I wanted to make sure that you watch all the seasons of everything that we're referring to because this podcast should take as long to produce as humanly possible. <laughs> 
I could do I could do a couple more like in a, a listicle for you, Julia, if you're interested. You know, that's, I, that's, that's really more of an anthracite approach. <laughs> 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 that's something that 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 Schmuzzfeed would do. <laughs> <laughs> they have a Buzzfeed, I think. I think I've seen one with a Buzzfeed. It's called like Feed Rage or something. <laughs> Feed Rage. <laughs> Now, Julia, could you figure out how Kane could go and have lunch and be facing the window and not see the unruly mob of paparazzi just waiting for him to come out in handcuffs? Get your head up, Kane. Get right. I've done nothing to be ashamed of. This is a joke. NYPD got so jammed up with their hooker scandal, they'll do anything they can to distract them. You don't know when to shut up. Court of public opinion, baby. It's my wheelhouse. Taking down rapists, that's ours. He's very chummy with the cops when they first show up to ask him what's up and what maybe happened between him and Jocelyn, this author. They know him by name. He knows them by name, he which said, is crazy. Yeah, he knows them. He's very connected. I mean, I think, again, we're supposed to take away, here's this guy who's so plugged in, he's getting away with whatever he's getting away with. So I think he's very comfortable in his skin. You know, he's he's not expecting that the handcuffs will come for him. You're also you're like not remembering a very important detail that we learned later in the episode, which is that he is a Peabody Award winner, right? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> for that goodness. stupid show that we're forced to watch five minutes of in this episode. Like, no way in a hundred million years would that show win a Peabody Award. But we're supposed to believe that he is. So maybe as a former Peabody Award winner, he's just used to paparazzi following him around everywhere. Who knows? There's a right? lot. There's a lot of glitz that comes with the Peabody Award. <laughs> exactly. If he won a Peabody, I'm submitting for a Golden Globe. <laughs> Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. When you support us at Patreon at just $5, you will get exclusive content like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, the Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. That's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. 
Okay, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Barbara knows Jocelyn's credibility will be questioned, so he wants to know everything about her past. Her college boyfriend says Jocelyn was never into the BDSM that she wrote about. Maybe she was with a professor that doesn't want to get called out. Or she just researched it, like all her other references to Renaissance erotic imagery and sexual awakening. You could put a diploma on it, porn is porn. See, that's the thing. Jocelyn's highbrow references. I read her blogs, her tweets. Her idea of a sexual cultural reference is Gilligan's Island. You mean that Ginger Marianne thing? You think she's not showing enough depth in her tweets? Amaro confronts her old professor who just bought a billion-dollar harpsichord for her office. He thinks that she is the real author of 25 Acts. Meanwhile, former female staff members say Kane got really excited when he used to have the belt in his hand. Barbara tells Jocelyn she'll have to testify that she didn't write the book that made her rich and famous. On cross-examination, defense attorney Rita Calhoun asks Jocelyn if she were willing to lie about the book. What else would she be willing to lie about? Objection! Withdrawn! (laughs) Kane does well on the stand. Then Barbara says... Hey, man, I got an idea. (laughs) The prosecutor takes off his own belt, loops it around his own neck, and then goads Kane into pulling it. What will happen, America? Of course he chokes him too hard. The jury convicts, but the writing careers of both Jocelyn and the professor are left in ruins. Now, Julia, if I wanted to go back and interview your college boyfriend, what's the likelihood I'm going to find him wandering around campus after all this time? (laughs) Just hanging out, coaching lacrosse, (laughs) ready to discuss our sex life. (laughs) Yeah, that whole like academic research jaunt is comical in many ways. I love how also Amaro is like, I'm going to need another day because It would be better if we got the indictment without knowing that Jocelyn didn't really write the book. Because he basically, he's like in the office, he talks to the medievalist Italianate professor who they've noticed that maybe the voice of the book has a lot of very sophisticated references to Italian Renaissance art and a lot of kink that the lacrosse boyfriend seems... Amaro has noticed, you mean. The genius that is Amaro has noticed. Yes. I spent the night reading your work. You're quite prolific. Academia, publish or perish. Like the article you wrote on the uh, ecstasy of St. Teresa. The pain was so great that it made me moan. Over and over and threw me into sweet delight. Well, this is the other thing about Amaro is they kind of try out like a thousand different personalities and works for Amaro. It seems like when I say I like Amaro, I just mean I never met Stabler because Amaro has no real personality. Sometimes he's a jerk to his charming military wife. Sometimes yep. he's like a lone wolf. Like at the beginning of this, of this episode, he has the confrontation with Olivia where he gets put by himself. And you Olivia, need to have a partner you can trust. Yeah, and Olivia's like, I didn't ask to be transferred away from you. And he's like, yeah, I asked to be transferred away from you. I know you. You need someone who you can trust. Um, It's like he has like a different thing all the time. So in this episode, his thing is like the lone thinker. But then it takes him, you know, about 72 hours to put two and two together with the expensive harpsichord. I think he wanted a whole extra day because he was only on Act 19. He wanted to get to all 25 (laughs) acts. Yeah, so it takes Amaro like 72 hours to put two and two together about this professor. But yeah, the greatest line from the boyfriend about their sex life is he's like, we never tried any of that stuff. I mean, we mixed it up. I mean, we mixed it up. 
Sometimes I was on top. Sometimes she was. Sometimes I was on top. No, it's good comic relief. <laughs> no, so Kevin, there's a couple of things that I think that were funny about this trip to what was like Silver Spring College or whatever it was in Maryland, right? Yeah. So first of all, the fact that immediately as a viewer, we recognize that no college professor, I don't care how prestigious the university has an office that large, like just, <laughs> just does not happen, right? And even like the, the dean of Hudson University does not have a, an office as large as the one this professor has. We are Hudson, where the bad guys go to school. But there's this idea that they're going to go back in time to when she's in college to investigate whether or not she was ever kinky. Like that's the plan, right? Was she ever kinky? Mm-hmm. And that will give us some sort of clue as to something. It's not entirely clear. She ostensibly went to this college for four years, over four years, two semesters per year, what, four or five classes per semester. And this is like the only professor that they talked to, like the one that she had for this like Italian literature seminar. And then he immediately homes in on her like, this is the one, this is the one. That whole thing was hilarious and strange. And also there was this entire side thing, which they didn't really go back to, where apparently Jocelyn, in addition to being a very innocent college girl and best-selling author of a sex book, is also a sex blogger, like a dating blogger. And what does she say? Like, those who can't do blog? And like how that sends them back to her college, thinking that's where they would get clues. Like the whole thing and and why they went there made no sense to me until I realized that maybe like there were some tax breaks in the Bronx at Fordham or something. So they had the opportunity to film on that campus for a couple weeks. It definitely was not the regular Columbia University Hudson jaunt that they make. It seemed a little bit more expansive. She's like the only person who didn't go to school at Hudson University. Yes, yes. And how much easier would it have been if they had, right? (laughs) Of any other school. Oh my God, how comical. So those who can't blog, Julia, do you resemble that remark? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. On behalf of Anthracite Magazine, yes. (laughs) (laughs) The cops want to know how Jocelyn learned so much about BDSM, but isn't the real question how this middle-aged college professor learned so much about BDSM? (laughs) You are just playing into the stereotypes that the college professor was aware of when she cannily signed up the charming Schlumsky to rep her book. She said she knew that talk show hosts, and no doubt she would have added podcast hosts had she been looking into the future, wouldn't want to imagine her fantasies. So I like to play the hopsichord, and I'm into knife play. (laughs) And I think they should have known that it was the professor because they always heard a lot of banging on the harpsichord. (laughs) Ew. I'll just wait, let it, yeah, okay, there we go. Oh, God, you're like 12 years old sometimes, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I will say about Schlumsky is it reminds me of the one time I started a Tumblr which I think of every time we get to this segment of the show. I began a Tumblr during my bed rest maternity leave, like law and order seclusion called stars of law and order gram.tumblr.com, which is also an Instagram <laughs> hashtag that has like 10 posts in it. But basically the thing is every time you see a big shot in a law and order role, you Instagram the screenshot of that star and then you describe what their role is and then use the hashtag stars of law and order gram. It's not a thing, but I think it could be, guys. I think you guys I think can it make could it be happen. Now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now that so. our tens of listeners have heard about it, it's totally going to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's uh, I did not tag Chlumsky, but I will I will add Chlumsky to the mix. By the way, uh, the professor is a hey, it's that girl. She is. Yeah. She looks familiar, right? Yeah. Where is she from? She's like a hey, Anyone it's that know? girl is what she looks like. Her name is Rami Rosemont. In my world, I'm between a pariah and a laughingstock. That's why I wanted to use Jocelyn's name. 
But to think that someone would ascribe my fantasies to her and use that as a smokescreen for assault? Well, it sickens me. And she looks familiar because she was Finn's mom on Glee. Oh, Oh, yes, yes. Oh, poor Finn. Yes. Other and her Finn. last name was Hudson, although she did not go to Hudson University. Oh, Thank goodness. That must be why they had to put it somewhere else. Conflict. Yeah. <laughs> now, our friend Adam Kane has the ever-powerful Rita Calhoun as his defense attorney, played by Elizabeth Marvel. But did she fall asleep for the part where Barbara said he wants the, her client to <laughs> choke him with a belt? <laughs> not prejudicial at all. And by the way, not Canadian at all, because we do find out that Kane is Canadian, right? Like, she's like opening up the argument for his remand or whatever. Oh, like, yeah. No, he, might, he might run for Vancouver or yeah, something. Yeah, like, no way is that super mean dude Canadian. There's just no way. <laughs> no way. Canada just but, ejected him, and that's how he ended up as an asshole on American television. Yeah, and, and Calhoun seems like super cool with knowing what's not proper when she withdraws things before the objection has even been called. I think she does a couple of times during this trial where she's like, but withdrawn yet. She's, I don't know, the judge does allow it. What, keep you on a short leash? What did she say, Barbara? Well, this, this, was my, this was my favorite moment in the courtroom scene. So we're, get, we're introduced to Barbara. Barbara, what a wily fellow. What a great prosecutor. And he starts with this whole ah shucks routine to try to get the belt in the hands of Kane. And, regular and, Joe. And says, ah, as a regular guy, just can you tell me how it works? I'm just, you know. And then I think Rita Calhoun's like, objection. And the judge is like, you know, what's your what's your purpose, sir? And he's like, as a regular Joe, I am curious about how this belt around the neck thing is exciting. I am sure, your honor, that the jury is curious as well, which is like not a legal argument. Like that's not oh, in that case. And the judge is like, oh, I'll allow it. It's like, what? Like you're for the, now. These are the legal pyrotechnics of Barbara. It's just like, I want to know. That's like not how courts work in my years of experience watching courts on versions of this show. But here, That's not going to come back on appeal. No, it's not. But, but, he, but here's what the judge says with the whole belt thing. She goes, I'll allow it for now. And I'm like, <laughs> when will you stop allowing it, judge? Because right now is when it's actually happening. It's not like he's going to take the belt out and then put it away and then take it out again. Like, it's happening now. So when you say for now, you're implying that at some point you're not going to allow it anymore. And the belt is already around the dude's neck. So I'm not sure what you meant by that. How about will you not allow it now when the prosecutor starts yelling? Show me, pull it. Pull it. Pull it. Tell me how you like it. Show me how you like it, Mr. Kane. Come on, pull it. Pull it. This. All right, that is enough, Mr. Barber. <laughs> At that point, has he gone too far? Show yes, me, the, pull it. Show me how you like it. Were the uh, screams of Barba? Yes. And then when down. he starts choking out and like basically flopping around like a fish, the judge yells, "That is enough." Mr. Barba, as though he's the one in control of the fact that he's being choked out in the courtroom. That's enough, Mr. Barba. Stop being choked. I'm not sure exactly what he's supposed to do at that point. Yeah, it's only now that the judge has realized the, the provocation at hand here. My other, The other thing I noticed about that scene is that afterwards, Barba walks away, coughs a bit theatrically, catches his breath, and then says to the jury in a very dismayed tone, not a mark. Not a mark, not a <laughs> be- mark. And then he shows mark. the the image. But 
how does he know? He hasn't seen his own neck. He, he doesn't know what his neck looks like. So why That's would that right. be his way of describing? <laughs> also, there's both so much neck makeup and then so much neck covering in this episode. Back in the first half, we see Anna Chlumsky in a white sleeveless turtleneck. We see her mm-hmm. with like a scarf at her party. Mm-hmm. And then even Barbara gets, he actually does kind of have a, a bit of a mark. But at that, I was like, Barbara really does have special skills because he apparently has a secret invisible mirror to his own neck. He you does. Can see, he took a selfie. Look, it's fine. I missed the part, though, where he turned around and said, Jury, look at his chubby now. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing he didn't point out. But she's right. Like, he didn't just walk back to the table. He sauntered back to the table. He like sort of like, mic drop walk. Now, in the end, Barbara says uh, to Jocelyn, My reputation. thing about America, this country loves a comeback. This country loves a comeback. Which I think is actually what happened on page 87 of her book. Oh, (laughs) gross. You are 12. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. Although this episode does little to disguise its inspiration by the Fifty Shades of Grey books, the story also draws on the sex scandal that rocked late show host David Letterman. In 2009, during his show's monologue, Letterman revealed to a shocked national audience that he was the target of a blackmail scheme in which the perpetrator threatened to reveal he'd had sex with members of his staff unless he was paid $2 million. The 62-year-old comedian received an envelope containing the threat. It came from a news producer at CBS named Joe Holderman. He threatened to write a screenplay and a book about Letterman's numerous liaisons with staff members unless he was paid off. Holderman had just broken up with Stephanie Burkett, a late-show staff member who often appeared on air with Letterman. He found entries in her diary describing her long-time affair with the host. Letterman gave his blackmailer a fake check as part of a police sting. Holderman was sentenced to six months in jail and performed community service. The scandal, though, remains a stain on Letterman's four-decade-long television career. Well, does this scandal actually remain a stain on David Letterman's career? Yeah, I definitely did not read this episode as a Letterman commentary in the present day. I mean, it felt like, name the other men. It felt more like Bill O'Reilly or Roger Ailes. I mean, this guy is supposed to be kind of a conservative talk show host. Um, And so post-Fox collapse, it reads much more as that than as Letterman, especially because the blackmail element doesn't really come yeah, it's into weird play. because like definitely Harvey Weinstein and Roger Ailes that those scandals are part of their legacy it was Roger Ailes obituary in the New York Times but in the first paragraph uh, mentions you know this part of his his career the the allegations but I think like with David Letterman this is not the first thing we think of although it is but it is an example of of, uh, you know, very bad behavior by a powerful man. Yeah, Rebecca, but what do you think? They actually nod to David Letterman. They mention him in this episode, don't they? Sure. Don't they say that um, he, he did uh, the same thing coming out in his monologue, but he didn't rape anybody? Isn't that the way that they frame it, right? That he was having, I mean, I'm not saying that his affair was appropriate in any way because it was a person over which he was had a lot of power, obviously, and that was the whole thing, but it was about the blackmail and less about the wrongdoing, right? So I I think when I think about the David Letterman thing, I think more about 
the way he handled it versus what it actually was, which, by the way, does tell me that him coming out ahead of it and doing that monologue was probably the right PR decision. I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm saying that's what I remember. So kudos to his um, Gloria Allred daughter person who told him to do that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's true. I mean, the question of how we come to sort of how we classify powerful men who are accused of abuses of power and sexual abuses of power uh, is changing and depends on all kinds of external factors. I mean, for years, there had been very public reporting about Cosby and didn't change the way anybody thought about him until finally the dam broke. Um, I think Rebecca's probably right that the nature of the claims about Letterman, again, not excusing them, but they did seem to go kind of up to a point and not past it, at least as far as we know. And then the direct way he handled it um, probably mitigated the lasting impact on his reputation. But it's true. It's not the it's not the first thing I think of when I think of Letterman. And I sort of had almost forgotten about it until I was reminded. by. Yeah, it might be a bit muted because it had been, you know, a long simmering mutual attraction. However, it's still a story of a man who's in a position of power in a relationship with a subordinate. Yes, exactly the opposite of our marriage. Right, Kevin? (laughs) (laughs) You are definitely the one in power, but I am at times forced to sleep with you. Um, Now, I have to say, though, that I think this is the dumbest extortion plot ever. You give me $2 million, or I'm going to write a screenplay about you. (laughs) Yes, because everyone knows that every screenplay that is ever written is definitely turned into a film that everyone goes to see (laughs) immediately, right? Yeah. That's certainly been my experience. Well, although, again, since it's the week of the Harvey Weinstein revelations, one of the things that one of the actresses who accuses Harvey Weinstein of uh, sexual misconduct did was make a movie starring a character that seemed like her and a mm, character that seemed Schmeinstein. like him. So it's not, it's not the only known instance in human history, although there's no blackmail right. associated with it. There's merely a thinly veiled fictional rendering of the traumatic things that... She yeah, and occurred. for some reason, uh, Miramax wasn't returning Halderman's calls. <laughs> no, no, they weren't. I mean, going back to the beginning of this episode and what Julia said in terms of believing victims, in terms of hearing these stories and feeling like, oh, yeah, that that probably could have did happen. I think we do need to give a great deal of credit to our 27 years of watching SVU for our, our willingness to uh, to believe uh, women and to believe that these things actually happen. So kudos to you, Mariska. Kudos to you and Amaro. Let, let's give Amaro yeah. a little credit, too. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I'm all for credit for Amaro. I mean, I think it is one of those things where the show... It's clearly thought deeply about how it portrays this stuff because the show has to, you know, or it'll it it, it would get too criticized. Uh, and so it's generally fairly thoughtful about how it portrays things moment to moment. But fundamentally, its overriding purpose is to produce an entertaining hour of television and not to educate us. So you do get things like the moment about the tonic response to assault and how people might not move. You do get, you know, sort of this showing of the powerful man who has a chummy relationship with the cops and thinks he's kind of too too big a fish to, to catch and can talk his way out of anything. On the other hand, the lasting implication of this plot, if you really think it through, is that one of the defenses is that this girl couldn't possibly have been raped because she didn't actually write the kinky book, which leaves you <laughs> thinking that if she had written the kinky book, maybe then... 
the defense wouldn't have worked as well. And like the the I, I don't want to say that this is a perfect uh, that that SVU always hits a pitch perfect note in terms of sexual power and violence. You know, like fundamentally, you're left with the sense of like, well, if she had written, she a would know what book a safe word was into right. bondage with her lacrosse boyfriend. Then maybe this all would have gone differently, uh, either in terms of how we would have presented it, in terms of the prosecution. I mean, you know, it probably just would have turned it into one of those tragic episodes where you, the viewer of SVU, know that she was actually raped, but the jury can't get with it. Hey, her. guys, you know how you were talking about how, like, everything that SVU has taught us? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's <laughs> like I tuned in because I wanted to see members of an elite squad, and in the end, the elite squad is me. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank our guest, Julia Turner of Slate. Julia, where can our listeners follow you online? I mean, other than at Slate. <laughs> yeah, no, just just follow at Slate. That's uh, that's the work I do. But I'm also one of the hosts of the Slate Culture Gab Festival. Oh, that little show. Table. That tiny little culture? show that no one listens so you to. So should, <laughs> you should listen to that as well. Hey, Rebecca, how can our listeners follow you? Well, I am not on the Slate Culture Gab Fest juggernaut show, but I am on the Slate podcast Mom and Dad Are Fighting, which is a really brilliant, well-researched, and uh, like arduously prepared show about parenting. You can also find me at Crime Writers On and on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. And I'll be appearing at Trivia Night at the Everyday Cafe <laughs> Pub. You can also tweet to, uh, you can tweet to me at Kevin P. Flynn and tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Be sure to use the hashtag Stars of Law and Order Grant. <laughs> Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Square Egg Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. In a fast-paced world, Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.